we are in Jonah, and it's fun to be home. We had a really wonderful time away, but oh, to be back with family and to be back here and to be in this text, Jonah. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, it's in the Old Testament. It's one of the 12. Jonah is one of those books that are right there put together at the end of the Old Testament. And I just, I hope as we dive into the Bible today that you can experience, you can grab hold of the incredible steadfast mercy of God for you. That whatever situation you're in, whatever experience you're having right now, even your own experience of fallenness, that you would see the wonder of God for you. And particularly this week as we start to think of our Savior who came and died for us. Why we're here, why we come and worship is because of Jesus. That we're going to see it today in our text. Which is amazing if you think about it because we're doing Jonah. And Jonah was written over 500 years before Jesus Christ came. What does he have to do with Jesus? Well, as it turns out, a lot. And as it turns out, even as we think about who we are and how we live and how our mindset is so much, my relationship with God is based on how I'm doing. That's how I live. I do it naturally. I thought about that even as you know, we flew 2,700 or so miles to go away last week. And when we flew, it only took five hours. That's like a miracle. Like 100 years ago, that was 200 years ago, that would be a miracle. But we made it, right, based on cooperation and human effort because, I mean, so, well, I didn't, I didn't actually do anything. Yeah, but, you know, I, we, we use this thing called money to exchange uh, abilities, to help each other out. So someone gets the fuel, and, and, and we, we kind of trade that for, for someone who's going to pilot the plane, and someone's going to engineer and make the plane, and then all the, the stewardess is going to help in the plane, and, then, and I'm going to work something else and help support that effort. And what we do is we have this whole network where we support each other with accomplishing tasks. We do it naturally. That's who we are. But what that does is start to soak in on us this idea that, Boy, I participate in and am needed for what God is doing. And, And the miracle of flight is not a miracle. It's a cooperative effort of mankind that we've made. Not so our salvation, right? We get to look today at this amazing story of Jonah. Everybody knows the story of Jonah. I think, I mean, maybe if you've never been in church, but who hasn't heard of a big fish? Because this prophet who runs away from God when God says, go and preach, and he goes the other direction, and he goes down and down and down into a boat, he wants to die, and finally he gets thrown overboard, swallowed by a giant fish, taken to where he's supposed to go, vomited up, preaches, the Ninevites repent, there's a vine in there somewhere, done. What I really remember is the big fish. What I really remember is, oh, yeah, yeah, Jonah was swallowed by a fish. We forgot. And so even when we started Jonah two weeks ago, we looked at that first picture, chapter 1, of atonement. How amazing it is that one person died so that all the pagan sailors would be free. What's that a picture of? Jesus. Hundreds of years before Jesus came. The depth of God's plan and what he's doing. The fight of God for you. The mercy of God over your life. 
It's getting into you. It's proclaimed from the very beginning that our God has a plan. And it does not depend on your work. It cannot. And, 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 and so we got to see the start of that. And so here in chapter 2, we're actually starting with the very last verse of chapter 1. Because that's how the Hebrew Bible does it. There's no fish in chapter 1. But chapter 2 starts with the fish. We get the fish today. But it likes fish, way to go. We get to look at fish. But, but I just want you to see that God, there is hope. There is hope in deep water. In fact, we are all in deep water. And our hope is on the mercy of God for us. And if you're here today and worshiping Jesus, you found that mercy. And I want it to just pervade in and, and, and to get into your heart and to, to give you hope. So let's, let's start. Hope in deep water. This is Jonah chapter 2. We're going to start with 117, which is the Hebrew start of chapter 2, with the fish. Isn't that great? I love that fish. Okay, 117 says this. And the Lord, and when you see all capital L-O-R-D like that, that's God's name, Yahweh. And Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, here's the fish. And, and if you remember, Jonah was tossed over, overboard, right? In chapter 1, this picture, everybody obeying God, but the prophet and God used him in spite of himself, this Old Testament sacrifice of the one for the many, and that's our Jesus. But his sacrifice, once for all, and God's glorified, even though Jonah was disobedient. But the disobedience led to his getting cast overboard. God's glorified even when you're disobedient, right? This is actually kind of a big issue. Because you're poked in all the time. Is no, no. God's only glorified when you, when you do it right. Are you kidding? You think you can stop God's glory? No, no, no. But here the 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 fish. Okay, when you think of the fish, and you normally think, oh, Jonah was swallowed by a fish. It sounds like that's God's judgment on Jonah. I mean, who wants to get into the belly of a fish? What is the fish? The fish is the rescue right isn't the fish the rescue jonah's cast overboard jonah's sinking and going down jonah's taking his last breath god appoints a fish to do what save jonah Right, the appointing of the Lord. Isn't that interesting language? The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. What is he doing? He's taking him out of the sea of chaos, out of where he cannot breathe, and he's going to take him to where he needs to go. That is a miracle of salvation by God. Isn't it? There's no word about how uncomfortable it was. Like, yeah, the, the, the fish swallowed Jonah and crunched him up little and he could barely breathe and was suffering a lot because he'd been such a bad guy. No. But it is this. It's miraculous. Jonah does what? Nothing. Gets swallowed. That's a passive tense verb, right? I, I came up and swallowed Jonah. The fish did the swallowing. The fish was appointed. The fish did it. And Jonah's sitting there, and he's worked upon by an active God. There's no way you can say, Jonah put on fish attractant. 
It's starkly miraculous, the direct action of God on Jonah. He has no say in the matter at all. It's done by God, and here's Jonah rightly judged in sin and disobedience, leading to his death, death by drowning in the sea of chaos. And God appoints a fish to save him. You're learning about God. You're learning about, it's going to be echoed, for example, in John 3, 17. I know you know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But then there's 3, 17, where, where Jesus says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. God saves. God rescues. That's his plan. He takes the disobedient servant. This is his servant, right? This is... This is an Old Testament Christian, if you will. This is somebody who, like, is God's person, and and God has to save him from his disobedience. So understanding Jonah is to see God's rescue by his miraculous action alone. Understanding Jonah is to see God's sovereign hand unstopped by disobedience of you and me. No hand in this for you and me. There's just the mercy of God. By the way, salvation through a fish. I mean, everybody, everybody. I know if I didn't say this, somebody after the sermon would come and say, what kind of fish was it? Think it was a whale? I don't know. It says fish. The, the, the picture we had, that was kind of a cool picture. I like the picture. I think that's a whale kind of idea. But, but you know, people have talked about forever. Like, how does that happen? How do you get a fish to swallow somebody? And there's some anecdotal evidence of maybe somebody sometime in the past, but it's really unsupported that it's ever happened. And, They've tried to get sperm whales to swallow people. The real problem isn't getting them to swallow. Though most whales have the, the, the esophagus is too small, so they can't get through. So whale, they think, well, it must not be a whale. It could be some other kind of fish. And the word here is just big fish. But, but sperm whales do have a big enough esophagus so they could get in there and, and, and you could force somebody down in there. And then they have pockets of gas, you know. The problem with the pockets of gas in a whale is that it's all methane. You ever try breathing methane? better with a with a with a light and you can light up the whale so here's the thing and all of that discussion and all that science to try and figure it out what are we trying to figure out how to make it not a miracle i'll tell you what it's a miracle it's a flat-out miracle there's no scientific way that i know of for a fish to swallow a person and for three days the person to live without an oxygen tank in the belly of a fish does it happen no did it happen yeah What's that called? Miracle. The salvation of God is a miracle. You can't figure it out. You can't try and say, well, but this is how it works, and I'll tell you because I've studied. No, I'll tell you I've studied. It's a miracle. That's what it is. And so this amazing miracle that we get to see that God comes and he appoints a fish. What does that mean even? Okay, fish, I'm talking to you. You go over here and swallow Jonah. And then keeps him alive. We'll see. Because most of chapter 2 is framed by the fish, but it's all about Jonah's heart in the belly. Let's look at it. It's the prayer. This prayer of Jonah. And, and I, I guess I want you to see as you go through, I want you to look for um, what is it about is what we're going to look for. What is Jonah saying? 
is to focus on the great repentance of Jonah because he's been a stinker. I don't even know what to say without using bad words. He's been a stinker. He's been a stinker. Okay. Then Jonah prayed to Yahweh, his God, from the belly of the fish. Okay, so now if he's in the belly of the fish, he's been saved. He was, he was going down and, and, and dying, and he's been saved. He's in the belly, and he prays, I called out to Yahweh out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. So, so the, the point as he begins to pray, you get this picture of the prophet in the belly of the whale. It says, out of the depth of the sea, I was drowning, I was dying, and I cried out and you heard me. The cry of distress, not nuanced prayer, not, 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 a, not a carefully crafted thing of beauty. My distress, I cried out to God. And the wonder of God from the disobedient prophet is that he The testimony of Jonah, the dying, is I cried out and you heard. For you cast me into the deep, Jonah prays, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Did you see the imagery that he's using? Do you see what he's saying? He said, I was tossed overboard, and then the seas were crashing over me. I was starting to, to, it was going over, and there was no hope, and I was sitting there slowly dying and going down. And, you know, you bob up once, and, and then you bob up twice, and the third bob's the last, right? As he drifts into the depths, and suffocation is happening, and what I want you to see is who did it. Jonah's interesting. He says, he's praying to God and says, you did it, God. Right? Do you see that? For you cast me into the deep. It is God's righteous judgment that Jonah die. You need to die. I told you to do something and you didn't do it. It's way different than, you know, I don't know, me telling you to do something. You probably shouldn't do it. But if God tells you to do something. So I'm kind of, what, what's the yet? That makes me curious then. He's praying and he says, yet, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. What, what, what's that? The waves and the billows, I'm driven away from your sight. And there's this glimmer, and, and, and he keeps going. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars close upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh, Yahweh, my God. Okay, see, see that the yet comes at the end. I, I, I want you to feel it. Do you feel the you know, boom and a boom and a boom and a boom and a yet? 
it be because he goes down, right? Closed in over me to take my life. He feel it. The water's closing in. Life's going away. And it's like a kelp field or something wrapped around him where he's, he's there and struggling and able to get up and up and breathe. And there's no life and suffocating. And I don't know if you've ever... I've done some free diving a little bit. Grew up in an island, so we would go out in the water and dive down. And a couple times when you just, you, you're at the very end of your breath, but there's always the water at least least 20, 30 feet above you where you know you could just go up. But if you get wrapped up in kelp or something down there and you you can't and, and you feel your breath going away, what a terrible way to die. He's dying. And he even, that's the language, right? Who's down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He's talking about death forever. His life in the pit. The despair of no hope as someone who has been disobedient and been judged and found wanting. And really, God says, you deserve to die. He knows it. So so the yet is a surprise. The yet is kind of the point. The yet is the wild. Yet, yet what? Yet you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Yahweh, my God. Wow. How did he do that? He appointed a fish. He didn't give him expanded lung capacity. He didn't give him gills. He didn't help Jonah free himself. Fish, come over here and swallow him. Talk about the, the whim, plan, the surprising plan of God. If you would have thought, okay, God's going to save someone, and, 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 and yet he goes into the water, he's going to drown. Let's, let's list out the 25 ways God might save somebody. Appointing a big fish to go swallow him would be number 135. Maybe. Super surprising. So, so, so that this, that house kind of like, whoa, and the bigger the bigger weight, the bigger. Why? Why? Did Jonah have some huge repentance? Is this a story of the wonderfully changed heart that so, so that he does good and he doesn't sin anymore? I mean, if you listen to Christianity, that kind of sounds like what it should be. I mean, really, God saves us so that we'll be kind and good and nice people. We have not finished Jonah. I just, I'm sorry. I hate it when people tell me the end before the beginning. He doesn't end a nice, happy man. It's not. Keep going, though. Here we go. Verse 7. When my life was fainting away. I remembered Yahweh. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Okay, this is this is key prayer point number one. His only hope is from the steadfast love of Yahweh. 
There's no action on his part. There's to say, I came and I realized. And it echoes a lot what you guys heard next week, last week perhaps in the parable of the prodigal son. He woke up and said, wow, wait a minute. My dad. Not, not, not oh, I'll clean up. Not, oh, yeah, oh, wait, my dad. My hope is in the love of my dad, the mercy of my dad, the steadfast love of my God. Turn to the love of Yahweh. He's running away. He's angry. He's sad. And yet, wait, I know my, there's a steadfast love of God in spite of me. Key point number two is that in regard to vain idols, it forsakes this. Not that the steadfast love isn't there, but, but you might forget it. You forsake it. You, you do. You don't even seek it. That's the problem with self. I don't even think hope is in the mercy of Yahweh. I think my hope is in the improvement of me so that God will accept me, so that my life will go better, so I can prove to God that I'm worthy. So I can respond in such a way that he is still happy with me. When I'm looking at me, right, when I'm judging right and wrong, when I'm caught up in building up, I miss that the only hope I have is in steadfast love. Your only hope, right, it's not in me. It's not in this world. It is in the steadfast love of Yahweh. He hears. He's the one who loves. But the voice, with the voice of thanksgiving, he says, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. There's a reason why Ephesians 5 says that to be filled with the Spirit is to have a heart of thanksgiving. Because if your eyes are open to the amazing love of God in Christ for you, how can you not be thankful? And yet sometimes we're not, right? The steadfast love is still there. You're incredible, God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's true, right? Death is what you and I get, rightly. Life and rescue, well, that's going to be a miraculous work of God. You can't get much more miraculous than a fish swallowing you and vomiting you up on dry land. In fact, that's what happens, right? Here's the end of the chapter, and Yahweh spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. Also very common for the fish to kind of just cruise on up to the shore, vomit someone out, cruise away. It's a miracle. A miracle of what? Salvation. Totally outside of Jonah. Totally outside of him. God saved him first, and then he prayed. He didn't even, it's not filled with his, 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 what should be rightful. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. I'll never run for, I'll do whatever you say. He does say he'll do, do what he'll vow to will pay. But it's almost an afterthought. Amazing story, amazing picture before Jesus came of of the amazing, wonderful mercy of God. And that salvation is because of his steadfast love and it's not on us. It's not in us. We have no part of it. Our God has a plan and you can't stop him. And he's amazing in what he's going to do. And it's going to be something you can't even imagine. 
And he's amazing. We could stop there. We could be done. But we can't be done. Because you haven't even seen yet, though you may know it well if you're a Bible scholar, you haven't even seen yet that this story, a real story, 500 years before Jesus, is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's a sign, this amazing, disobedient prophet who gets acted upon by God. And then you would say, wow, how does he get all the coolest signs? This is the coolest sign, the only sign. Come look with me. It's really fun. You've got to see it. Flip over, if you have your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 12. If you don't, we'll put it on the screen. But in Matthew chapter 12, and it's in, it's in all the synoptics, so you can find it in Mark and Luke as well. But, but here in Matthew 12, it's... It's clean and you can see it. And in verse 38, some of the scribes and the Pharisees, they they come up to Jesus and there's a conversation going on, but we won't take time for the whole conversation. They come up to Jesus because Jesus has been teaching this amazing, miraculous stuff. And it's shocking to them that that the lawyers and the students of the law and the people who are like, man, how what we do is we stay right and then God blesses us because that's what the law says. And, and we even add on to the law because it's so important that we not even break any little piece of it. And Jesus comes and he's even healing people on the Sabbath and he's doing these crazy things. And, and it's God come to earth, but they don't believe him. And so in verse 38 of chapter 12, this is Matthew, says, Some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. That's what he just went to. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Right? So that's, then what's the sign? Well, the sign is Jesus will, be, um, will die and be resurrected in three days. Yes, but you've got to think it through. We just went through the actual sign. Will you connect it with me? The sign that, 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 that death will happen. And by a miraculous work of God that no one can understand, resurrection will happen. And Jesus, the perfect one, is going to go down into the earth and die. Like Jonah. But Jonah, so different than Jonah, right? Because Jesus doesn't deserve it at all. Yet he's going to take on the deserved sin of all the world. And rightly die. By the steadfast love of God, he will trust the steadfast love of God, which he did his entire life because he was perfect and he was obedient and he was everything we're not. And by simple trust in the steadfast love of God, he is resurrected. Tomb's empty. We do that on Sunday. This is the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah is that it's the mercy of God that saves. The sign of Jonah is that it's the mercy of God, even on you and me who don't deserve it, that saves. It's the hand of God at work. It's not your 
law-keeping. It's not your obedience. It's not your, it's not you. Jesus goes down in the water. Jesus in chaos and destruction. Jesus losing his life because we needed saving. Jesus, not like Jonah in many ways, totally obedient, but he's delivered by this sign. God's action saves him. He who is God has a miracle. I mean, Jesus as Jonah should be jarring to us because he was so disobedient. He was fleeing God. He was deserving of death. And, and, and this points us and pushes us, doesn't it? The 2 Corinthians 5, that 21, he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Totally trusting in the hope of steadfast love. The king of heaven cast overboard by pagan believers, crucified by his own, conquering an awesome faithfulness. No, dying. He is the upside down king. He's the one who went outside. He's the one who became sin. He's the one who died for us. The steadfast love of God is at work, and it's remarkably un- and outside our understanding in every sense. Yet you brought me up from the pit, O Yahweh, my God. The Father raised him from the dead. So our whole paradigm, yours and mine, is not improvement. It is resurrection. We become like Jesus is to enter into his death. We also die. What are we doing? Trusting that God in his mercy, connected to Christ, raises us from the dead. It's so scary because it's different than any other way forward. I mean, it shouldn't be. All we have is the steadfast love of the Lord. He is our help in trouble. But we're so dependent on ourselves, we can't seem to let it go. And I know I grew up this way. I, I just I was in junior lifeguards growing up, and, and we're not in Southern California, so you can't you probably don't know what that is. But they made you run and swim and run and swim and run and swim. That was all great. There was one thing I couldn't. I was a little kid. They made us jump off the 10-meter platform. That was like 10 miles high. And so you climb up these stairs and you keep climbing and you keep climbing and you keep climbing and the, 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 the ground gets further and further and then you're up and they make you walk to the edge and look over. That's like the very worst thing if you're a guy who hates heights. Yeah, like that. Like you do not want, I, man, I was not going to jump if, if, even if they pushed me. But then the big kids came. First big kid came, smiled at me and jumped off. Second big kid came, smiled at me and jumped off. walked to the edge, and I kind of closed my eyes, and I just jumped. I lived. <laughs> I didn't do it again. <laughs> it's that kind of fit in your stomach, though, that we're talking about. When it comes to the reality of we're trusting in the miracle of God, it is so much easier for you and me to not trust in the miracle of God than to trust in ourselves. And to take a step back and say, no, what this is is the miracle of God that I will trust in. And it's scary because I do not see it. And it's scary because it's acknowledging that I deserve to die and go down into death, and I will die. And yet, in trusting in the sovereign grace of God, in the mercy of the steadfast love of God, I will be resurrected because of Jesus in him alone. Our hope is in the work of Jesus for you and me. In spite of me, not with my help. And and introducing my help is introducing idolatry. We do not walk in our increasing personal holiness we walk in the god-given holiness of jesus applied to us our bare trust in what jesus has done and his love for us 
Our only hope is in his rescue of us. Our amazing joy is that he promises us resurrection life. The humility we have is the dying of our personal attainment. And our trust in alien righteousness. This God who died that we might live. The pursuit of the commands is a constant push for you and I to say, Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. The clean conscience we have is the proclaimed absolution of Jesus. You are forgiven. The striving that we have is to hold on to this in a world, even a so-called Christian world, that tells you and me that striving towards self-improvement is what makes God happier with you. Trust him that though you die, yet you will live. And in the midst of your sin, and you're in sin right now, in the midst of the difficult relationships you're in and you're in them right now, in the midst of this fallen world and the circumstances that are not what you want and your, your kids are harder than you thought and your parents are not who they should be and the people around you are not as good as they ought to be, that you know you're dying and yet you will live because you know the steadfast love of God in Christ. He has done it. It is finished. We know many who have gone before us. Go ahead and jump. Forsake your works. Trust in the work of God for you. There's great hope in deep water, which is the incredible mercy of God for us. This is what we bank on, the hope of steadfast love, that though we die, 